Welcome to Talking Facts, what you need to know about family, food, finance, and fitness. This nationally recognized, award-winning podcast is hosted by the University of Kentucky Family and Consumer Sciences Extension Program. Our educators share research knowledge with individuals, families, and communities to improve quality of life. Hello, and welcome to Talking Facts, what you need to know about family, food, finance, and fitness. I'm your host, Mindy McCulley, Extension Specialist for Instructional Support at the University of Kentucky. We often think about health in terms of personal choices, eating nutritious meals, getting enough movement throughout the day, or staying up to date with wellness checks and vaccinations. Research shows that a person's health is formed not only by their individual choices, but also by their surroundings. Health starts in our communities with our built environment. Today, we are going to break down the four key areas that influence health in one's neighborhood and built environment. Access to nutritious foods, crime and violence, environmental conditions, and quality of housing. Joining me in today's discussion is Dr. Natalie Jones. Dr. Jones is the FCS Extension Specialist for Family Health. Welcome, Natalie. Hi, thanks for having me. I am really glad that you want to talk about the built environment because (laughs) I love talking about this topic. The National Institute of Health describes the built environment as any building or space that is created or modified by people that form the physical characteristics of a community. So when we think about that, the built environment includes all aspects of where we are born, where we live, where we work, play, even where we worship. Um, And it has a significant impact on our health behaviors and our health outcomes. So we've kind of talked about this before in a previous podcast, but I want to hone in on this example because it's it's a great example is if a community lacks sidewalks or bicycle or walking paths, right? It's more difficult for people to be active safely. So leading to more sedentary habits in terms of they're not going to be moving. And sedentary habits can result in poor health outcomes, such as obesity, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, even some types of cancer. So truly designing healthier communities doesn't guarantee that people are going to be healthier, but it certainly encourages that healthy activity by making it easier for people to walk safely or to ride their bikes um, or just to get out and play in their neighborhoods. Certainly understand that. Um, My neighborhood has one entrance. You can only get in and you can only get out one way. However, it does not have sidewalks. And so because of that one, one way in and one way out, we do have very limited speed limits. And so we do walk pretty safely on the streets. But it, it was a concern when we moved here. It's like, oh, there are no sidewalks here. Is, is that going to be okay? And of course, we talked to the neighbors and they're like, oh, no, the kids play and, and everything's okay. And, and so, yeah, I can see that that's a, a concern. So to create a place of health, Healthy People 2030 identified four key areas that influence health in one's neighborhood and built environment. Access to nutritious food, crime and violence, environmental conditions, and then quality of housing. So can we break down each one of these with some definitions and examples? Yeah. So just like you were saying, your environment, your neighborhood sets you up for your lifestyle choices. And the first one that we're going to talk about is access to nutritious foods. So this allows people to make healthy eating habits if they have access to nutritious foods. 
However, a lot of people are not given the choice to have that choice to choose healthy Mm -hmm. foods. They just don't have access. So they have to get what they have, right? So research has shown that individuals who have a higher access to nutritious foods have healthier eating patterns. And that includes, right, including a variety of vegetables, of fruits and whole grains, therefore leading to better health outcomes for their lives. But there are barriers when it comes to accessibility and availability of nutritious foods. So lack of transportations, So individuals without access to a car, or if the city or community where they live in doesn't have public transportation, then it could be a really hard because there could be a big distance that they have to travel to get healthy foods. And so therefore, if they live in a low income or rural community and they don't have access to um, a vehicle or public transportation, then it's going to be really difficult for them to maybe get to a, um, a grocery store that has healthy food options. And we think, well, there are grocery stores everywhere, right? But really, when you look at, at the grocery stores where there are healthy food options, they might not be everywhere. You know, you might see lots of convenience stores, but you're not going to see lots of grocery stores. Exactly. So, so these places where they can't find healthy food options, those would be considered a food desert, right? Yeah. So I love that you bring up this term. Yeah. So a food desert is an area that has limited access to affordable, healthy food options. So that includes what we've mentioned, right? Fresh fruits and vegetables um, or whole grains. And again, this isn't common. Um, A lot of people Mm -hmm. live in food deserts and they're commonly found in low income and rural areas. And this is one of the main reasons that ethnic minority and low income populations really suffer from higher rates of obesity, type two diabetes, and other diet related conditions than the general population. So just for example, right in Louisville, Kentucky, so just Louisville alone, more than 44,000 people live within a food desert. So that means that they can't easily get healthy, affordable food. And so on the flip side of that, if we are able to increase access to these healthy foods and support healthy eating, that's just one method for improving individual and health outcomes within a community. So is there a geographic distance that's given that says that, you know, this is how far a grocery has to be from someone to say it's a food desert? So, yeah, that's a great question about distance of how far, right? Right. Does it Mm -hmm. count to be in a food desert? So, In the U.S., a food desert consists of at least 0.5 miles. So a grocery store is at least 0.5 miles away from you in urban areas. So like in the city um, or one mile away from a large grocery store. Roughly, they're saying also, so half mile to a mile in an urban city and then in rural areas, again, it's still pretty far. It's considered a food desert if it's 20 miles or more away from you. That is interesting. Yeah. So again, right, geographic areas are going to be the hardest hit in terms of access to fresh fruits and vegetables, whether it be restricted, right? They may not have that many choices or just non-existent. So if you're in an urban area, you obviously are living in a more congested city. And so you should be able to to get to different convenience stores or grocery stores or places that sell food quicker 
because yeah. you are living in such a tight knit area, but in rural um, areas, you're going to have that rural sprawl, right. In terms yeah. of people are kind of spread out further. Um, and so just the distance to get to anywhere is going to be a little farther than if you lived in an urban setting. I'm just thinking that there'd be less access to public transportation. So if you don't have. No, exactly. That's the if problem. If you don't have your own transportation, then it doesn't That's matter it. if it's five miles or 20, it's going to feel like the same distance, right? <laughs> Exactly. So that's why that's what we were just talking about. Exactly. Bringing it back in terms of transportation and food options go hand in hand. And that's exactly why rural and low income populations suffer the most because they have to go farther potentially to get food. And then if they don't have a vehicle and a lot of rural areas also don't have public transportation, they don't have a a bus. No way to get there. Exactly. So that's why the gas station or the dollar store or anything like that is, yeah. is the typical go-to method. So that's, again, why the built environment is so important, because I think a lot of people are quick to judge about what people eat right. um, and what people put on the table. But a lot of times people it's are making available. the best decision mm-hmm. that they can for their families. And right. they're doing what they can by what's available to them and what they have access to. And so our goal for public health for the state of Kentucky, right, is to just help increase the access to healthy fruits and vegetables. Sure. Let's move on to the second area. Can you tell us a little more about how community crime and violence directly influence individual health choices? Yeah. So this is a tough one. Crime and violence happens in many ways, right? Right. Uh, People can be a direct victim. Uh, They can witness violence or even just hearing about crime and violence from neighbors. And so just like food deserts, crime rates also vary by neighborhood. And so unfortunately, low income neighborhoods are more likely to be affected by crime and violence than high income neighborhoods. So, Mm -hmm. for example, right, people who don't feel safe in their communities participate in less physical activity. Right. Right. They don't they don't feel safe being outside. They don't feel safe maybe going for a run. So as a result, people in their community have higher levels of obesity due to reduced physical activity, but then also due due to poor mental health from not getting outside or the anxiety and fear of the crime and violence that is within their community as well. So addressing crime and violence in the community is one way to reduce harmful surroundings and improve overall health and well-being. Exactly. So it's all just how it, it overlaps, right? Our built environment just overlaps in terms of the decisions that we make and what we feel feel comfortable doing. Crime and violence impacts our ability to move, to be outside, and again, our mental health and well-being as well in terms of the stressors of, of violence. So yeah, so we'll move on kind of to that third focus of the built environment, which is the actual environmental conditions of one's home, a neighborhood, or community, and how that really contributes to individual health. And when we think about the environmental conditions, I'm going to focus on three specific areas, which is polluted air, um, extreme heat. Summer of 2021 (laughs) has been hot for a lot of people. And then contaminated water can also negatively influence health. Can you go into a little bit more detail about how these specific environmental conditions influence health? Yeah. Yeah. So For example, air pollution, right? 
We breathe thousands of times in a day. We need oxygen to live. So the impact of outdoor and indoor air quality can vastly influence our health. So ongoing contact to any air pollutant caused, for example, by cigarette smoke or gas fumes, mold in a house, even wildfires, right? We're seeing out in California, car and truck exhaust or factories, depending on where you work, dust and dirt, even dirty air conditioned filters, right? Pollution from factories. If you live in an area around a factory, not even if you work there, these all increase the risk of cardiovascular disease, lung cancer, which then can lead to an early, early death as well. So when we think about all of those things, some of those are, again, your built environment. You didn't choose to live there or it it just happened, right? You didn't choose for the factory to be built next to you, but it happened. So that is really important in the built environment. And then also we have, in addition to air pollutant is air temperature. So air temperature influences our health. And as we've seen, Throughout the summer and throughout the past couple of years, we're seeing temperatures rise, right? We're seeing an increase in reports because of this heat rise that we're seeing in heat-related diseases and even death-related to heat. So the heat is really, really plays an impact in our health, especially for areas that aren't used to the heat, mm-hmm. that people may not have air conditioning um, or access to air conditioning. And so that can play a big factor, especially people who work in agriculture or people who are working in construction who are outside a lot and maybe not being able to replenish and just outside all the time can really affect them. And then finally, one of the environmental factors that we want to think of as well is water quality. So if a community has poor water quality, this places everyone in the area at risk. So in some cases, right, groundwater sources are used for drinking water and even for um, crop irrigation. And so That's important to know if we have poor water quality, because if we're drinking those water sources or um, using it for our plants, for our food, then that could contaminate for the public as well. So many things that I had never even thought about, but it's interesting how one's geographic location strongly influences an individual and community's built environment exposures, leading to different health outcomes or risks. Like how many rural communities often rely on private well water which can have high nitrate levels that are connected to certain forms of cancer. But in urban locations, individuals are exposed to traffic-related air and noise pollution, which are also linked to hypertension. Spot on in terms of the built environment truly influences a lot of things that we don't even think about all the time. And so one of the last things that we were going to talk about is housing quality. So we talked about the environmental areas in terms of the actual environment and the conditions that you live, but housing quality is also really important. And this refers to just the physical condition of a person or a family's home, as well as the social and physical environment in which the home is located, right? So poor quality housing can consist of inadequate plumbing, overcrowding, structural issues, which all can contribute to health risks. So for example, we kind of mentioned this earlier, but water leaks, if you don't have adequate plumbing, water leaks can contribute to the development of mold and other allergies or allergens, which then can trigger respiratory issues like asthma. So we know that a lot of people who live in poor, low-income neighborhoods, there's a higher rate of asthma and that could be due to housing quality. So how do we increase social and community support? Yeah. So again, just kind of going back to 
preaching about what extension does in terms of all of the different programming that we have to offer to better support our families, to help reduce stress and anxiety, to help learn about your quality of housing and to help figure out ways that you can, as a family, work on your built environment because we do know that they strongly influence our health and well-being and that we can create a built environment that helps us be our best selves if we know how to do that. So now that we know the built environment of the neighborhood and communities we belong to strongly influences our health and well-being, how do we create a built environment that helps us be our best selves? Yeah. So again, like going back to what we kind of started the podcast with of, of looking at how for years and years, we've focused on individual behavior, right? Assuming right. that if you teach people health, it'll make them healthy and that they, they'll they make the choice. And once they know, they know, and they're going to do it, right? Mm-hmm. But we know now the built environment, right? Achieving optimal health truly depends on the context, that right. environment, that community in which people live, in which they are actually making their choices, And so one way to make the change is through policy systems and environmental change. And so these are called PSC level changes, and they allow for a large impact on the population in terms of modifying the built environment to make the healthy choice, the easy and most accessible choice for all community members. So I'll kind of just dive into this real quickly, but policy approaches, we've kind of talked about civic engagement in some of the previous podcasts, but this includes that legislative advocacy. And an example of of this could be establishing policies for smoke-free zones. So people have seen that in restaurants or certain areas where you can't smoke here, you have to smoke outside. And again, this is helping policy to keep people healthy through that air pollution. Um, Another good example of policy that people might see at work or factories or when they're working in the field with agriculture is requiring the use of safety equipment in the work setting to avoid injury, right? That's a policy that's put in place that helps keep us healthy and helps keep us safe. So those are all policies that can help. A systems change refers to just a fundamental shift in the way that problems are solved within an organization or within a town or within a community, just in terms of how do we put health first and how do we make it easy and more accessible for just the system to run that's focused on health. And then the last one is probably the most easy one, that environmental change to kind of wrap our head around because it's actually like a physical change that's happening in the built environment. And so those can include Increasing the number of parks, of green space, of trails within a community to help people be physically active, even installing signs, right, that promote the use of walking and bike paths, whether that be signs Mm -hmm. for pedestrians or even signs for vehicles so that they know what's happening, that there could be pedestrians around, so they need to slow down. And then also what we've mentioned a lot is increasing the availability of fresh, healthy foods in schools, in Mm -hmm. restaurants, in cafeterias, and in grocery stores, all environmental changes that can help. And so PSE strategies, these policy systems and environmental changes have a huge impact on neighborhoods, community settings, but also then in an individual's person's home, as well as place of worship. So all of these can take place in different areas, but it's truly how we can create 
a space, create the built environment, create that neighborhood, that community that focuses on making the healthy choice, the easy choice. I love the discussion that we've had today. And I really thank you for taking the time to explain the built environment and how improving the conditions in which we are born, live, work, play, worship, and age will create a healthier population, society, and workforce. If you are just joining us, you are listening to Talking Facts, and we are available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thank you for listening to Talking Facts. We deliver programs focusing on nutrition, health, resource management, family development, and civic engagement. If you enjoyed today's podcast, have a question or a show topic idea, leave a like and a comment on Facebook at UKFCSEXT or send us an email at UKFCSEXT at UKY.edu. Visit us online at fcs.uky.edu to learn more about the University of Kentucky Family and Consumer Sciences Extension Program or contact your local extension agent for family and consumer sciences. We build strong families. We build Kentucky. It starts with us.